Hello, how are you, buddy? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I cannot hear you. Ah, isn't that nice? Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Wold. Welcome to the Cheers North County podcast presented by the Coast News, where I have a drink with someone interesting. Today, I'm virtually having a beer with my guest, Brian Beagle. He's a custom home builder in the San Diego area and influential craft beer podcaster who hosts the Indie Beer Show. We're going to talk supply chains, San Diego beer, and how important it is to have a little patience. Full disclosure, this episode contains some adult language. That's cursing to the layperson. But first, some sponsor information. The Coast News has been a leading voice in North County for 33 years. They continue to passionately cover the stories of our communities, of local economy, sports, culture, and politics, and of course, the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. If you'd like to support their reporting efforts, please go to thecoastnews.com, and if you're able, click the donate button on the upper left. This isn't a sponsor plug, but check out the Indie Beer Show's list of San Diego breweries, tasting rooms, and beer bars for up-to-date information on who is open, closed, delivering, or shipping. You can check it out online at bit.ly backslash helpsdbeer2, or check out the Indie Beer Show's various social medias for links. And now it's time for the show. Hello, how are you, buddy? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I cannot hear you. Ah, isn't that nice? Microphone is on. Wait, there you are. Oh, you got me? I got you now. It's not you. No. It was a stupid setting on my computer. It just took a long time for it to uh, be counted. Awesome. I think. Wait, there you are. Now, now, now you're in headphones. I'm okay. everywhere. It's you're, like I'm a real live boy. It's, yes, you're live. <laughs> it's working like a, every other fucking stream I've ever done. Well, so hello, hello, uh, welcome to the show in which we totally know what we're doing. Absolutely, <laughs> nothing but the nothing but professionalism. I'm gonna open so, a beer too. Uh, I heard your can crack. What are you drinking? I am drinking LeBron Hayes from Pariah Brewing Co., uh, one of my favorite breweries here in San Diego. Uh, also, help build the tasting room uh, just as a you know as a job. But uh, the owner is a really good friend of mine. His beers are freaking great. And this one in particular, LeBron Hayes, is one of my favorite he ever made. Cheers to you, sir. Cheers to you as well. I'm actually drinking. I've gotten really into like some classic pizza port. I oh, can, hell yes. I can throw like a stone over to the pizza port here in Carlsbad. And so I've been drinking Chronic Amber all week. And it's like I had forgotten just how simple and good and delicious it was. So I'm... There's a reason why they built an entire pizza port empire on that. Yeah. Uh, well, on that, and by not caring at all about what they were doing and saying, you know what? I don't care what you're telling me. I'm just going to do what I'm going to keep doing. And yeah. Find that does help. Life. Obviously, we're going to talk about beer, but I was hoping to talk to you first. You are custom home builder, you contractor, consultant in that world. What's happening right now in home building? What is the market looking like? What is the trend for COVID? It's insane. So this is weird uh, hybrid of good and bad. Uh, there is a, a large segment of homeowners that are not comfortable having contractors or repairmen in their home currently. And so we have, uh, like, for example, we have a large contract that has been signed, but then everything went crazy with uh, the virus. And so that project completely on hold. Uh, so that's a negative side. There is a flip side. There is uh, a large demand for any quality company currently. And these demands are going to get worse because we are all suffering from not only staffing shortages, uh, 
mm-hmm. but also material uh, shortages and delays uh, because every factory has factory or uh, has labor shortages. Every, you know, it, 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 it's rolled out through the, through the entire country. Now uh, the first couple of weeks we were very isolated here in Southern California and while like distribution centers were still stocked with materials, we didn't notice any pain. But as of this week, uh, we're looking at three weeks to get lumber, which is wow. just for someone in my industry is insane. Like normally sure. lumber is like, Jerry, bring me a truck of two by fours <laughs> tomorrow. Um, and now it's a week, two weeks, three weeks. We haven't seen material shortages like this since. Well, since we started climbing out of the last recession in home building uh, about three years ago, then all of a sudden, like, so home, when Home Depot runs out of two by fours, you know, there's a problem with supply chain. Sure. And that's, that's where we're going to, we're seeing it now. But then there's, like I said, the other side is there's still a lot of people that want their home fixed or the increased use of their home by having everyone home all day has, mm-hmm. uh, shown a weakness in their home that needs a repair a, <laughs> sure. a broken a faulty water heater a air conditioner that doesn't work yeah. um you know so we've been able to kind of stay our normal busy uh but we have a massive backlog of work uh from homeowners that didn't want us in their home and we're we're starting to see the first couple uh homeowners start to be a little more comfortable as things are reopening I think is where they're getting their comfort level as San Diego County has kind of maintained a low um, effect of the virus uh, compared to especially like some other parts of the uh, Southern California, like LA's going bad, but we've done really well here in San Diego. So I think some people have a little more confidence and are like, I'm starting to receive calls about things that have been on backlog since early March. And so that's good news and at least hopefully good news. Yeah, at the same a, time, at the same if time, we go, if okay. we all go back too early, yeah, then then we could just be starting this over again in another month. Sure. Uh, so my company is is kind of rare in the residential construction field. Um, most of our jobs are unoccupied, like we're doing full home remodels or we're building a custom home. So we didn't have much interruption. But uh, I've had some staffing issues. I've had some subcontractor issues. and But most of my life is controlled by material delays and shortages right now. I think that staffing one is one that you're going to see both in that. In, in a lot of places, one thing I was just talking about with someone else was you have staff that are staying, that are on unemployment and they're getting a decent amount, hopefully. I mean, and, and rightfully so. Um, but you also have staff that are that may have kids at home now that they weren't expecting to have. And so even if they're offered that job back, what do they do with their kids? And also staff that might say, you know what? I don't know how I feel about taking the risk either. What do I do? And um, I'd be, I'm, I'm really excited. Not excited. Excited is the wrong word. I'm really curious to see how owners handle convincing employees that it's safe to come back to work. Yeah, and it's a, it's a dual-edged sword. So like we have some people out because they didn't feel comfortable working. Mm-hmm. But then my company was also lucky enough to get a payroll protection loan. Um, but one of the requirements of that loan, at least to have a large sum of it forgiven is that you don't re- reduce your payroll. And so we've had to, we had to ask our employees that were deciding to stay out to come back to work. Now, luckily we have great employees and the situation didn't go crazy. And so they were comfortable coming back to work, but 
Uh, I know of many other businesses. That's not the same thing they're hearing. Uh, you've got, like you mentioned earlier, childcare is a big issue. It, you know, schools are not open. So mm-hmm. someone in a home that has children has to take care of them. Uh, then you've got the complication of some people that were making a lower wage. Maybe they weren't as experienced in their trade or, um, or they were a laborer or, or, you know, someone that worked at McDonald's or Subway or wherever. They currently are actually getting a little more than they used to make when they're on unemployment. So it's kind of hard to, entice someone to come back to work. And then there's this third complication, which is that because of the virus, employers aren't allowed to require people to come to work if they say that they're uncomfortable. So if you got one of these loans from the government to help you get through and you can't reduce your payroll and you have employees that aren't comfortable working, you still have to temporarily fill those positions. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really a complicated situation employment-wise right now. And then we hear, you know, these tremendous, unfortunately, these tremendous unemployment numbers. But if you can't get the people to come back to work until that extra runs out at the end of July and you can only. So, you know, if you're a restaurant owner, you can open theoretically tomorrow or the next day at 50 percent capacity ish. But if you can't get your employees to come back. How 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 are you going to service your clients that are itching to get back into your restaurant? It's it's a really tough situation right now for small business owners. Like an unfortunate and an, an unfortunate burden was placed on every small business owner in America for this crisis. Yeah, and um, and they're the least. And obviously, there's great successful prepared business owners, but. The margins of a lot of these small businesses, they were un- they're not able to hold out as long as others where they have to start making decisions where they're going, OK, the risk is this. But the risk, the other side of it is I lose the business. So yeah. what do I do? And when you, you just mentioned restaurants and the 50 percent capacity or some cities are at 25 percent or outdoor only. Now you're talking about getting your payroll back if you've received one of those payment loans, which Congratulations, because you don't hear that a lot. Uh, I've heard of a few locally, especially in the that industry. But if you get, you need to get your payroll back to a certain level, but you're only at fifty percent capacity. The, How do you do that? Yeah, the numbers don't add up. You know, so somewhere along the line, there either has to be uh, some new plan where some of that gives in the legislature, or they're essentially saying we're going to sacrifice an entire generation of small businesses. And let them repopulate themselves. Yeah, which would be very that. That's what we hope to avoid. Right, uh, is a, a, a massive failure of small business, which has really driven our economy back to a success over the last five or six years. It would be very, it'd be very horrible to see sure. uh, mom and pop businesses take the brunt of this. Unfortunately. A lot of the regulations they made were very pro big business. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of the things like a lot of the extra benefits that they're requiring or are offering to people that are sick are only for companies that have less than 500 employees. So like if you're Walmart or Target, you don't have to give people this extra sick time if they get sick or cover extra benefits for them. And it's like the, the whole burden of all of this uh, current situation feels like, and I'm no expert, but it just feels like yeah. it's been solely placed on the shoulders of small business. 
And for the vast majority, I'm sure they'll make it. They'll be able to bear the burden. They're the ones that have made our country successful is uh, people that just do not take no for an answer and still somehow find their way to success in their own path. Yeah. And it's very hard. I mean, it's it's very hard to do that um, in any industry. But then it's specifically like what I'm involved in outside of construction, uh, you know, San Diego Craft Beer. You mentioned small margins and, you know, really they're a manufacturing business and margins in manufacturing are, you know, four, five percent. Yeah. Uh, my co- my construction company would not exist if we were only making four or five percent. It's just not possible. And it's it is amazing that uh, breweries can exist on that. But they're they're in trouble. Yeah. And every single brewery in San Diego County is in trouble. Um, three have already decided to close their doors forever. Um, one hopes to come back, but we'll see what happens with that. You never know what will happen. Um, but I would say that every brewery in San Diego County, probably not Stone and probably not Ballast Point, but other than those two, every brewery in San Diego is currently at risk sure. of, of, of failure because of lack of business for the last two months. Yeah. It's and been brutal. continued lack, even if things reopen, because the numbers won't jump immediately to 100% the way they were before. Not um, at all. That, and, and especially larger, like what we would call larger brewery in San Diego, more of a mid-sized brewery, someone that's making, say, you know, 10, 15,000 barrels of beer a year. Most of their production went to bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm. And none of those are open currently. So it's it's really it's really a difficult situation. Uh, Carl Strauss, Modern Times. These are breweries that are in the sixty to eighty thousand barrel a year production wise. Same thing. A lot of their volume of, of production went into bars and restaurants that have not been open for two months. And you know, so yes, they've had this advantage where the ABC has released some, uh, relaxed some rules yeah. and allowed them to sell directly to the public. Uh, but that doesn't make up for the volume of the thousands and thousands of kegs that the hundreds and hundreds of restaurants would go sure. through uh, in our city. So well, they're, they're all in trouble. And there's a ramp-up period. You know, my wife works in the school system, and I thought one of the most amazing things I've ever seen was over the course of a week, her entire team learning how to teach online or to yeah. work with students online. And different situation, but very similar to say, oh, well, we know you've been making kegs for a bar or wherever. Well, now you need to figure out how to sell it to people in their homes and we're going to let you do that, but you essentially need to figure it out today. And yeah, that's and a huge undertaking. And the few breweries that have figured that out are going to be better off at the end of this than the ones that haven't, but still not making up the difference. And before we get too far into it, uh, I was going to say, you're the host of the Indie Beer Show, uh, the Sorai Suds Beer Award Cup. I've been to your food drives with Sorai Suds every Christmas society. Thank you. Um but we're talking about how these breweries and bars are struggling. You have a list going. Why don't we say that right away? So if anyone stops listening after this, they already know uh, about this list <laughs> that you've been working on. So uh, we'll make sure that the link is posted in this in some way, yep. uh, the physical link. But it's bit.ly slash sdhelp2. And so what the, what it is, it's really it's a database that um, – we have gotten all the brewery owners hooked up with in it's a standard, just a standard Google database, uh, a sheet, I guess is what they call it. But it lists it, almost every brewery is now participating 
uh, most distilleries and most cideries. And it gives you a complete breakdown, one spot source for who's open, how they're servicing the public, whether that's packaged beer to go or delivery or shipping overnight. Um, and, and it's being, like I said, it's being updated by the brewery owners and staff themselves. So it's, and it, it's the, as far as I know, it's the most up to date source for what's going on and what's available to you, the general public to support the, uh, San Diego beer world. Yeah. And it's very comprehensive. I know there's been a few lists going around, but they're, you know, just essentially a list. They're open, they're not open, but this has, whether you're, they're open, whether they're doing delivery, whether they're doing pickup. Who they're doing it for, like through, whether you can get it shipped, it's 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 all there. So that's a great resource to have, and we'll definitely be linking to that. How did you get started in craft beer? I was listening to one of your shows the other day, and you'd mentioned that uh, roughly for like nine years, your kind of daily thing was going to get a beer with friends. And obviously, you've probably been drinking beer for longer than nine years, um, but. Oh. <laughs> but so, how, how did you get started in craft beer? I mean, how did you did you get into that and then think to yourself, you know what? I have this whole job that I do. I also want to do this. So I got sucked into beer just because of craft beer, just because of the quality of the beverage. I mean, really, as early on as a drinker, I just always kind of and, and this ended up being true for the rest of my life. Uh I, I'm a foodie. I'm a beery. I find the, I, I look for the excellence in, in whatever I'm eating and drinking, especially I try to focus in that world. But early on, it was, uh, Newcastle, Bass, Guinness, Spaten, the uh, things that people called premium at the mm-hmm. time, uh, imports. And, uh, that kind of piqued my interest. And then the first American craft beer that really, uh, hooked me in was Sam Adams Boston Lager. And, this is not an aggressive beer. I mean, it's a very tame beer, but it's it's very well made. It's very consistent compared to light lagers or pilsners or anything like that. Incredibly flavorful. Uh, and then from there, uh, I got sucked into Stone and the entire San Diego craft beer world. Now, officially, I, I have now been talking about craft beer for 10 years, which is crazy to me. But before that, I would cover this skateboard and BMX event every year as a photographer in Claremont for a local Claremont newspaper. And one year, uh, the, the paper failed and I still got access to the event. And I don't know if it was in passing or whatever. My wife was like, you know, you can just do this for yourself. Just start a blog. I was like, wait, what? I'd never even thought about it. And then I was like, fuck it. I will. And so I started a, at the time, what we called an action sports blog. Oh yeah. I have one of those. Um, I don't know if you remember the era where we called things action sports. But, I do uh, very much. This is the time when I started as a, uh, a skateboard BMX photographer blogger guy. And I would talk about, you know, whatever craziest trick happened that week. And I would go and film my buddies who were professional skateboarders and BMXers or meet up with other professionals and take a picture of them in a skate park or whatever. Just little, very low level blogger shit. And, um, I had probably an audience of a couple thousand people. And one day, one of my best friends, uh, who was a chef at the Handler Hotel has, you know, reached out to me and he was like, you know, your event photography is pretty good. Do you want to cover a beer event? And I was like, wait, what people do that? Yeah. Uh, and so that was the first Mission Valley craft beer and food festival, which at at the time was by far the coolest fucking craft beer festival 
it, like no one had at that time had ever combined all you could eat dishes made by restaurants with a, a beer festival. And those early years were insanely awesome. The Handerly treated me like royalty. They like gave me a suite overlooking the freaking party. They conked us dinner afterwards. They really treated me like I was like a pro. And I got and I got hooked on covering craft beer from that moment. So and so I start so I switched. So my action sports blog was called Sorai Sports. And I switched that over to Sorai Suds after about a year and a half of covering both and focused on craft beer because I was, I don't know, 43 and fat and dislocated my shoulder 65 times on a skateboard. And just it, it, craft beer was a lot easier to cover. Yeah. And, and, and and at the time, you know, my focus was just shifting in life and things like that. It was a lot easier to kick back with friends and drink beer than uh, chase them on a skateboard and barely make it around the skate park behind them to film them. And, and so craft beer is amazing in San Diego, especially. And especially, you know, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago it was a it was just a an open hug environment and i was welcomed in by breweries left and right instantly and i think my my genuineness comes through because I'm, I'm a pretty just straight shooter type of guy and i i really believe in the overall message of craft beer because it's it, it's probably the the biggest revolution that we've ever lived through in my life i'm i'm 45 but i mean it's the only industry i've seen where someone who just does it well can be successful at it just because their product was so good you couldn't just like like you couldn't okay so you grow a great carrot can you sell it you know what i mean <laughs> I, for whatever reason the the timing in history was perfect for the San Diego craft beer market to emerge. We have some grandfathers to be thankful in this arena. Carl Strauss, uh, followed by Coronado and Stone, uh, some of the earlier pioneers of San Diego that are now celebrating their 29th and 30th anniversaries and kind of set this framework of, of terrific beer in San Diego. And then Ballast Point comes on the scene and then it just blows up from there. And uh, now it's, you know, we're, we're more than a billion dollar economic impact in San Diego County. We're over 150 breweries. And that number's down, by the way, um, because of this year and some, some difficulties for the industry over the last couple of years. But it's an incredibly successful industry currently. Will it be next year? We don't know. It's uh, the environment could easily cause the failure of 10 to 20% of the breweries in San Diego. And that could be 20, 30 small businesses if you look at it that way. And nobody wants to say this out loud, but this is what the possibilities we're facing is, is like the, you know, most of these businesses were treading water financially. And, you know, when you do a business out of passion and out of love for the product, often your focus isn't on profit and, uh, you reinvest all those funds and you just you just make your new spot better. And so that's kind of how the breweries have been going about it. And I really hope that they all had great business coaches when they started their business that told them to have three months of emergency money in the bank. But I mean, I don't. So it's it's hard to imagine that every brewery in San Diego was prepared for this storm. Sure. And. I mean, I'd be surprised if any are going to be like, oh, yeah, we're fine. Yeah. 
I think that, uh, I mean, I, I worked in restaurants most of my life and ran restaurants and, and ale houses. And, you know, you're so focused on what's in front of you that day because every day there's something, there's a fire. And so those days that you have off, those are the days you plan for the future. And those don't come around very often. And I think a lot of people all of a sudden have a lot of time to think about the future and they're hoping it's not too late. And if something like this were to happen again down the road, a lot of these people that survive this will be better prepared because they've gone through this. And and ultimately, we might not see how many people will close for this for six months, a year. You know, maybe reopening gets them another three months or another six months. But, you know, it'll really depend a lot on, one, how how prepared they are to take the next step and how they handle it. And we really have no idea, reopen or not how the consumer is going to respond. You know, a big a big change for me personally is delivery. We get delivery for groceries and things. I used to do all the grocery shopping, all the liquor store shopping, brewery shopping. And now somebody brings the food or the beer or whatever it is to the house. And as much as I enjoyed doing that before, I have a hard time imagining going back to that, to adding that task back into my week. Yeah. And where that I thought we were probably spending more because I was having these big orders and you know ordering cases of beer at a time or whatever it was but it turned out I was spending less because I wasn't buying anything on impulse you know I had to think it through before I hit the button and unless I had a few feed supports before I made the order but uh, <laughs> but it's really gonna be anyone who says they know what's happening next really doesn't uh, which is kind of my next question for you is one thing I look forward to every year is great American beer fest and is that happening? Should it happen? If it does, are we going? I mean, um, okay. So personally, I'm not going regardless. Uh, what what uh, Ryan's talking about is the biggest beer festival in America, and you're talking about eighty five <laughs> yes. to ninety thousand attendees. Yeah, uh, nine thousand breweries serving beer. Um, I'm over exaggerating with the number of breweries, but under exaggerating the number of attendees. An it's entire... in Denver every year. It's a major. It's the like I said. It's the biggest beer festival in America. It's the it's, uh, the, the Oscars of the of the beer world as far as it comes to awards. Yep. And the uh, question and so is, do, if you win this year, do you get an asterisk? Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I it would if it happens because there's still time for it to happen in some way because we're talking about uh, late September. Yep, September so still 20th, some time. I think. Um, they haven't officially canceled, but we're all expecting it to be officially canceled soon. Everything else is canceled, but not GABF. If they have it, obviously the capacity will have to be massively decreased. Will the attending breweries have to decrease? We'll have to see. I mean, they, they give everyone about a 12-foot booth, so it's might be possible if you kept your staff in the center of the booth for people to maintain social distance other than your staff that theoretically would be commingled already. But how do you, so one, uni, one seemingly universal thing is that while people are re, are loosening the restrictions for restaurants, they're not letting go of the alcohol as easy. And, and for obvious reasons, generic public opinion is that if people are in a room and they're just drinking, their guard will be come down. They won't maintain social distance. The next thing you know, you'll be hanging on your buddy. I love you, man. And there's some truth to that. I mean, we don't call it social lubricant for nothing. 
Sure. But it does make it very difficult for what you would call like your traditional dive bar. If you only have 14 bar stools, how do you exist with five? Like it, it's going to be a very tough. Think about small bar. Small bar has a capacity of 42 people. I, I, I don't see how she can get everyone six feet apart and get 21 people in there. Like it, it just, it feels like her capacity at social distance rules is going to be like 13. How do you, how does that, how does a business person exist in that world? Um, it's very difficult. What we hope is that the ABC keeps these reduced or these relaxed restrictions open to all the bars and restaurants and, and breweries for you know the foreseeable future while while uh capacities are reduced and that that i think is the only way that they're even going to have a choice a chance to survive is that if we can keep up the to go we can keep the cocktail to go which is a as an adult it growing up in southern california it's been really cool to be able to get a cocktail to go by the way (laughs) i mean that that is a great that is a great thing and i hope that 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 stays um, it's really, it's really cool. I think that every brewery can deliver directly to a consumer. I've never understood that rule, but a lot of the rules revolving around alcohol are left over from prohibition. First mm-hmm. off, and secondly, the ones that have been changed since prohibition were changed by companies like Anheuser Busch that have billions of dollars, and so they change it to help the big guy. So, like requiring a distributor to deliver beer is one of the type of laws that were made for a bigger company. Mm-hmm. Whereas for, you know, that, like, if you think about, like, for example, Thunderhawk. Thunderhawk here in San Diego, Thunderhawk Ailments to be specific, they make 60 gallons of beer at a time. That's two kegs. They make two kegs of beer at a time. If they had to take those two kegs to a distributor so that the distributor could take them to a restaurant, that would be an incredible burden on their business. Um, they made 182 barrels last year. So they made 360 kegs. For example, Ballast Point can brew that in one batch. Yeah. And, you know, and it just shows the, that's the, the different scales we have here in San Diego County is, um, you know, the bigger breweries can brew what the smaller breweries are, are doing in a year in one day. And, uh, it, it definitely is a different playing field for those two business models. And so I'm, I'm really glad that the ABC and our state in general, I mean, we, I think we do have to say, while some of these rules might not be fun, they fucking worked. I mean, we saved our hospital system here in Southern California. It didn't work so well in LA, but it worked very well in Orange County and San Diego, San Francisco, San Mateo, the places where the outbreaks kind of started. It worked so well that we're reopening er much earlier than people thought was possible three weeks ago. And so it it sucks. It sucks that we had to all stay home for two months. And I know people are mad that our government said two weeks and then kept pushing that line back. But if they had told us we were going to stay home for two months, we wouldn't have done it. I mean, no one would have accepted what ended up happening the society, I don't think, would have been like, "Oh yeah, government, sure, shut us down for for two whole months." One um, thing, one thing I'll say to that though is, and, and I really appreciate. I didn't know much about our governor before all this started. Um, I mean, maybe a news article here or there. I've probably watched, I don't know, fifty of his speeches over the last few months. 
And for him, and I'm here in Carlsbad, every day, Monday through Friday, the local city manager writes a little blog post, and it's like, this is what's happening. This is what happened yesterday. And just today, the, the blog post said, like, you know, these are new things that have happened. If I were you, I'd be confused as to why this is okay and something else that seems the same isn't. Trust me, we're working on it. Like, this is a huge, huge undertaking. And I think that type of openness with that discussion is one of the reasons we've been lucky enough to get this much period before people really started feeling cabin fever, you know, and, and getting to that point. And, and I appreciate that personally living here. I, I do as well. And it's, it's refreshing to hear any form of government sound like a person. And what I mean by that is when, uh, you know, traditionally people in power don't go, you know what, we're trying to figure this shit out every day, just like you are. <laughs> um, and, it, and it's kind of been refreshing to hear that, you know, I mean, it just kind of underlines how unique the situation yeah. is. It, it's, it, it's never happened before. And now it will never happen again in the same capacity because the next time we have a global virus that outbreaks from a certain third world country, whether that's the same one or a new one, we will all act like it's serious when it's 10,000 miles away. And, and so I think, unfortunately for us, our country acted like us, like the people, like we're kind of arrogant and like, ah, it's not going to get us. We don't got to fucking worry about that shit. It's way on the other side of the world. It's not that big a deal. Like we're all like that. I mean, we, as, as just naturally we're, we're blessed. We live in a country that has afforded us this type of attitude that things happen other places. They don't necessarily happen here. And unfortunately this one happened here big time. And there is no way to convey the seriousness of the situation to someone that has that has lost a family member to to COVID nineteen. It, uh, it it's also I can also understand how it's hard for people to believe it's that big of a deal if no one if they don't if they haven't seen anyone sick. And I, and I mean I know I it's but it's it's a very serious situation and we're only doing okay because we shut our entire com- country down. And by we and, you mean. I mean, especially even here, more than some other places, like we, yeah. we've been very lucky to some extent. Yeah, I mean, we did we did very well in San Diego. Yeah, um, we went from a 14 percent positive test rate. That means that you know, fourteen out of every hundred tests were positive, down to three. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a major decline. And so I understand why there and 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 we also handled the hospital hospitalization of people that were sick well. But we have it particularly lucky. Uh, I have I have family members in New Jersey, and it's a totally different story coming out of there. Uh, my you know my sister in law is an EMT. My mother in law is in a nursing facility in Southern Jersey. My brother in law is a uh, police dispatcher. It's been a big part of our life, and it's not happy out there. And then the flip side. They were so locked down because the, the virus got to a, a, such a certain level that when they relaxed a little bit this weekend, people went insane. And it was reminiscent of the recent pictures of Newport Beach 
Yeah. Where Orange County went crazy and one weekend everyone <laughs> said, fuck this, I'm going to the beach. Yeah, where I was, um, that was the first thing I thought and, of, too. Or the bars in Wisconsin where I'm from, you know, after the uh, Supreme Court shut down their statewide thing. And, you know, this would just become worldwide news. You know, this is yeah. this is why we can't have nice things, guys. Like, Yes, to, absolutely. And so hopefully on. we here in San Diego County can remain a little a little better yeah. and we can. And we can keep our infection rate low and we can protect each other mm-hmm. and we can keep opening more things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully we can find some kind of sanity in the rules. So you mentioned this kind of earlier. The rules right now are very inconsistent and they're very today is this is something that's important and tomorrow is not important or, you know, it's total, it's fine to go to Walmart, but you can't get your hair cut like some of these things don't feel right um but it worked so we can argue all we want about whether it's just or okay or the proof is in the pudding and we we saved our hospitals we saved we saved your grandma we saved my grandma you know at least so far and let's and and I think you acknowledged it earlier, but the politicians that were are making these rules or the people that are setting these force that are enforcing them, police departments and fire departments, they're going through this for the first time along with us. It's not like they had a playbook or a manual, like you know, when you're running a restaurant, you give every employee a training manual, you know they're never gonna read. But at the same time, like they never read it, so when they learn it the first time, that will change how we do this the next time. And I think we can all agree that there'll be something. If it's not this, it'll be something else. And something well, I else mean, and at least next time there'll be a book. Yeah, there'll, there'll be something <laughs> to know, refer I mean, to. We, we didn't even have a policy. <laughs> we didn't even have a policy for a pandemic. We didn't. Yeah. And and like we can all be mad about being that, that things are closed or whatever. I think we should turn that energy as as things are starting to open and as things and as as it feels like the virus is starting to slow down. I think we should start being mad at why we weren't ready. One of the things that this crisis has shown me and, and a lot of my friends is how fragile our, our, our healthcare system is in America. Like it took one little virus to fuck it all up. We should be stronger than that. And we should be more prepared than that. And we should at least be on the level of some of our of some of the other countries in in the in the world that were able to squash it quickly when they had a thousand infected instead of you know 1.7 sure. million that we're looking at now i just i feel like we could have done better at the same time since it never happened before we didn't even know what better was now we know so now we know what what a, a wacky crazy what they call novel virus, something that's never been in humans before that we have no protections for, how fast it can spread across the world. Next time we'll be much more prepared. But I hope that that is is true on multiple levels. Like we need federal, state, and local preparations for any type of anything like this in the future. And one of the bigger things I hope is that we start to value investment in science and and invest in an investigation again and research and development. Like we've, we've in the last 10 years, we've, we've taken a lot of money away from that world um, because we hadn't had anything bad happen in a long time. And so we kind of got lax as, as a world, not just America, but like as a world, the research and development into science and health and, and 
viral protections and even even stuff that we have under control air quotes you know past viruses aids and and sars and other ones we don't have anything that cures these things we have drugs that will get you by and you'll be able to live with it i hope that coming out of this two things stick really i hope patience sticks seems like the world found a little more patience uh, i hope that sticks around and then i also hope just us realizing the value of investing in science and investigation into our world. Uh, and I hope that we can put a little more money in that bucket mm-hmm. and, and be better prepared for these type of issues because nature's fucking crazy. So now it's figured out how to hurt us real bad. It, it's not just going to end here with COVID-19. <laughs> Those gonna, I mean, COVID-19 is going to have a sequel. Like yep. we, we know this, hopefully it's not, it doesn't end up, being you know a a seven part horror movie series but um you know we've we've got to learn from it and and we've got to be ready for the next one and you know i hope some good comes out of it like i i know for me personally one positive thing is the amount of time i have just spent at home yeah um reprioritization yeah it's been really nice to to just kind of scale back to what's super important instead of, you know, I, I lived a very fun life <laughs> and still do, but it, it was good to take a step back and, and just really kind of focus on what is super important to my life and what makes me happy and what is really rewarding to me and what keeps me sane. I also feel for people that are in isolation. I, I could imagine that would be very difficult. I'm very lucky. I have, you know, uh, my wife, my nephew, and and his fiance live with me, so I have enough sociality. Let's say I know I have a lot of friends that you know are on their own and and haven't really hung out with a person for two months. That's hard. That's not what we're used to as a species. I hope patience and investment in science sticks. Those are are good words to end on. I think you know. I think we could keep on talking, but we're going to probably have to go with a part two to this. At some point in the future, which I think is a good idea because I don't know about you, but my beer is empty. My beer is empty. (laughs) Uh, Cheers to you and your podcast, Ryan. I really appreciate you you having me on. And uh, I will send you that link to that database. Sounds great. And uh, we'll make sure that all of our listeners get it at the Coast News. You have a great day, bud. Appreciate you having me on. Cheers. Cheers. And a big thank you to Brian Beagle for joining me today and to all of you for listening to the show. This show was recorded, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolt, and I think it's very apparent that I have almost no idea what I'm doing yet. But I hope you keep listening, because the guests will be great, and I'll keep getting better. Be well, stay healthy and sane, and keep living the dream. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>